0: Psalm 104 and verse 1. The title of my message is The Greatness of Our God. The Greatness of Our God. The scripture says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, thou art very great, thou art clothed with honor and majesty. Now the psalmist here begins this psalm the same way that he began and ended Psalm 103 with this statement, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now the word bless is not what we usually think the word bless is. When someone sneezes, usually we say bless you. Or we are giving somebody a gift and we say we are going to bless them with this gift. We think that our blessings add to one another, and they do. If you give something to me, you add something to me. And I can either be bettered or worse by your blessing. But see, to bless God is not that way. When the psalmist here says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, he is not saying that we are going to add anything to God by blessing Him. Your blessings and my blessings to God add absolutely nothing to God. Add absolutely nothing to Him. This word bless, it comes with a root word that means to kneel. That's what it means. To kneel down in adoration. To God. The psalmist here is commanding his soul. Commanding his heart. Stop what you're doing. Halt and bless the Lord. Kneel down before the God of all creation. Stop. Before I go any further, I like to do this. I want every one of us to take a mirror this morning, this evening. And I want you to take that mirror and I want you to place it right in front of you. Don't tilt it toward your neighbor. I'm going to do the same thing. Don't tilt it toward somebody else. Let's put the mirror of the gospel in front of our hearts and say, did we come here to kneel before God? Is that our purpose? To kneel before God. To bless the Lord. To kneel in adoration as one would kneel before a king in great awe. And splendor. Kneel before the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. We don't add anything to God. The scripture says, Not unto us. Not unto us, O Lord, but unto thy name give glory, for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. May God enable us tonight to command our souls, no matter our situation. No matter our circumstance that we are in right now at this moment, may the Lord by His grace give us the ability to stop and say to our souls, bless the Lord, oh my soul, my soul, my soul. Notice this is an individual thing. This is an individual thing. In other words, I can talk to you about blessing the Lord, but I can't see you, you can't Change you to make you bless the Lord. You see, it's me. I must bless the Lord. I must kneel down before God and bow down before the omnipotent, almighty, all-powerful God. It's personal. My soul, let each one of us kneel down before God. Is this not the reason for our being here to kneel before God? Now, to kneel before God, we must understand that all other gods must be put aside. If you are longing to kneel before God and to bow down, all other things that would set themselves above the worship of God must be put aside. Everything must be put aside to kneel before God. All other gods must be set down. So that we may bow and stand in awe and worship God who is great. I pray all our thoughts and all our affections this evening would be toward that purpose. <laughs> to kneel down in our hearts before God. To bow down to God and His word. To kneel before Him. Let's not think about what we think about God. What does God say about Himself? Kneel down and bow down before it. Do away with whatever conflicts with God's word and let us focus in awe of our God for he's great. That's the reason the psalmist gives to kneel before the Lord, isn't it? He said, bless the Lord, O my soul, for thou art very, what? Great. Great. God is very Great. This is our reason to bow down because he alone is great. He alone is worthy of our adoration. He is very great. Can you think of any that would compare unto God? (laughs) Is there any that would stand next to God and compare to the greatness of God? I know men like to think themselves great. They like to think themselves great as God or better. They're not. (laughs) They're not. There's only one great, and His name is Jehovah. He is God, and He is great. He is great. Now tonight, I want us to see three things about God's greatness. The greatness of three areas of God. First of all, I want us to see the greatness of His person. Now, we could camp there for years (laughs) if we wanted to. So I want us to see the greatness of God's person. I want us to see the greatness of God's power... And I want us to see the greatness of God's salvation. That's what I want us to see tonight in this text. First of all, the greatness of God's person. Look at this in our text. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, for Thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty, who coverest Thyself with light as with a garment. Now, first of all, he says that he is clothed with honor and And majesty. Now, the psalmist here is going to use some picturesque language because that's what we need. We can't really understand what God is in his person without language we can understand. And he's using the language of a king, a monarch, robed in royalty and splendor. He says he's not clothed with regular clothes made of thread silver and gold he's clothed with honor and majesty honor and majesty jeremiah says this for as much as there is none like thee there's none like thee O lord thou art great and thy name is great in might i know you've heard this the name of the lord what does that mean when we honor the name of the Lord, what does that mean? Well, when you think of a name of a person, you think of that person, you think of his character, don't you? When I call out a name, there will be certain characteristics that you would describe that person. If I were to say Adolf Hitler, well, there are things that come to your mind horrible things atrocities and, and murders. You, you know that man to be evil. You know that. How? By his characteristics. His characteristics. If I were to say Barack Obama, I'm sure some of you would have uh, certain feelings about that. and You would know that man by his character, by how he was revealed. If I were to say Don Fortner, now you know that man. You know his character. What if I were to say Jesus Christ? See, I know His character. I know His person. And we get different things by different names. So when I say the name of the Lord, I am talking about His character, His person. He is very great in His person, in His name. We always align a name of a person with their character. And David in our text, he kneels down and adores He takes the moment and he commands his soul to adore God in his person. The psalmist uses these vivid words to describe the name or character of the person of God, which is none other than Jesus Christ. That's who he's describing here. This is Jesus Christ he's describing. Jesus, my friend, is clothed with honor, he alone is clothed with honor. Because he alone honored the law and justice of God. He alone. There's only one. I know I'm speaking to sinners because I am one. I know myself that none of us have ever obeyed the law of God at all. You see, even when I don't lie, there's something else I'm doing. I have dishonored God's law all my life. You see, sin is not what we do, my friends. It's who we are. We are sin. But Jesus Christ, when he came into this world, he came with one purpose, one mission, and that was to do the will of his Father which sent him, and that was to honor the law of God which we rejected and spit on. By our actions and deeds, by our thoughts and intents of our hearts, we dishonored God. He alone honored God. He is very great. (laughs) He is very great. He is clothed with honor. Now as God, we know that Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. We know that as God, He alone before the foundation of the world possessed all honor on Himself. We know that. He had all honor before the world began. But see, when Jesus Christ became a man, He who had all honor obtained honor by His actions and merits. You see, He is clothed with honor. He is clothed with honor. The God-man mediator by his righteous obedience obtained honor at the hand of God. The scripture says he was made a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor. (laughs) Why? Because he deserves it. He deserves it. He earned it. And none of us can say that, can we? He alone has merited God's honor. The Father alone has given Him honor. Let us then kneel down before the one who is clothed in honor. He is worthy. Let us kneel and adore Jesus Christ by faith who is made a little lower than the angels so that uh, He became a man and perfectly honored God's law which we failed and cannot obey. I want you to see him in the beauty of his holiness. The God-man mediator. My friends, is there any here that see their need of to honor God's law? Do you have that need? You see, God's law is not something we trifle with. God demands perfect obedience from everyone in this room. Every one of us, God demands your absolute perfection. And if you don't have absolute perfection, you will not stand before the living God, but you will die in your sins for all eternity. That's nothing to trifle with. Yet I'm here to tell you of one that has honored God's law. I'm here to tell you of one that has triumphed in honoring God where we all have failed. And his name is Jesus Christ. That's his name. Kneel down. (laughs) Bow down before Christ. He is worthy. Second of all, he says he is clothed with majesty. You see, Jesus, who took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of sinful flesh, who humbled himself as a peasant, and died on a cross 2,000 years ago, is no longer a poor servant, is he? You see, he did that once. He did that once. He is no longer a poor servant, but he is risen from the dead by the hand of God. By his honoring God's law, God saw when he died, he justified him and said, Get up. Get up. You deserve it. You deserve it. And he raised him from the dead. He was satisfied with the obedience of Christ, and God raised him up. And now God has set him in his rightful place, in heaven on a throne, and he is the sovereign ruler and majesty on high right now. That's Jesus. That's where he's at. He is on the throne and he is ruling all things by the word of his power. You wanted to come here tonight, but my friend, you are here because he commanded you to be here. Otherwise, you wouldn't have been here. That's right. You are here because he purposed you to be here. He purposed you to be here. We're not as strong as we think we are. <laughs> Isn't that right? <laughs> We're not as strong as we think we are. We don't, have things, we don't have a handle on things like we think we do. You see, he has all things. The scripture says the father loveth the son and hath given all things into his hand all things into his hand. Tonight there is a man on the throne of God clothed with honor and majesty. Praise God for he who was rich for our sakes became poor that we through his poverty might be made rich. But now, oh bless the Lord, oh my soul, that tonight he has ascended into heaven itself and led captivity captive. He is king. Jesus is king. (laughs) He is king. He is Lord of lords. King of kings and Lord of lords. Therefore, let us say, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Adore him who is king over all. Now, I'll tell you today, people, they don't mind Jesus as Savior, do they? Ask a hundred people if they want to go to hell And a hundred out of a hundred will say no. Anybody in their right mind wouldn't want to go to hell. Nobody wants to go to hell. Believe in Jesus. Okay, I do. Jesus, you know, I like Jesus. He's a Savior. See, they don't mind Jesus as Savior. Nobody does. It's this Lord business that they don't like. They don't mind having Jesus as a fire escape out of hell, but when I tell you Jesus Christ demands of you, they don't like that so much. They want him as Savior, but they will not have him as Lord. But I tell you this, my friend, if you do not have him as Lord, he is not your Savior. If he is not your master and king, then he is not your Savior. You see, God, when he raised him from the dead, made him both Lord and Christ. Lord and Savior. Nobody minds Jesus who is a Savior as long as they get to do what they want to do. But you start telling them that Jesus commands this and Jesus commands that. Well, they don't want anything they will throw us and say, let us throw their cords off from us. Who is this man that he should rule over my life and tell me what I can and cannot do? That's what men say. Who will not have him as Lord. And if you don't have him as Lord, he is not your Savior. He is risen. God had made him both Lord and Christ. And to us who believe. You see, to us who believe, this is not a problem. <laughs> To us who believe, this is not a problem. He is my Lord and my God. That's who He is. I willingly bow down. Matter of fact, that's the only place I long to be found, is at His feet. (laughs) Is there any other place you'd rather be Than at the feet of Jesus Christ. Mary had it right, didn't she? And Jesus said, one thing is needful. And she found out what that was. What is that? Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Kneel down before Jesus Christ. Kneel down. He is worthy. God has made him both Lord and Christ. Now, all that the Father giveth me, Christ said, shall come to me, and him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Is that not a gracious Lord? Is that not a gracious Lord? When I say he is king, he is a gracious monarch. He's gracious. You see, he was gracious enough to choose a people before the foundation of the world. And he was gracious enough to die for them on that cross. And he will be gracious enough to call them. And they will come. (laughs) Every one of them made willing in the day of his power. When he comes to us, we will bow down. We have come by his grace. And have we not found him gracious? Gracious is not his majesty a wonder to behold do we not stand in awe as isaiah did when he saw the lord high and lifted up have you saw the lord high and lifted up or do you see jesus as a buddy <laughs> as a friend pal or do you see him as god he's my god And I love and worship Him. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, for He is clothed with majesty and honor. His person is great because He is clothed with light. This is speaking of many things, but I want us to show that this is speaking primarily of His holiness. His holiness. This speaks of His holiness and majesty. You see, in Jesus Christ is no darkness at all. (laughs) In him is no darkness at all. There's no trickery, is there? There's no deception. What he says is what he means, and what he means is what he says. We long for that in people, don't we? But you won't find it. (laughs) You'll only find it in one, Jesus Christ. In him is light. In him is holiness. Honor that. Reverence that. Stand in awe of that. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. Day and night cry the seraphims before Him. He is holy. He is always holy. No man can approach unto God. Why? Because you and I are sinners. Scripture says, Lord, if thou shouldest mark iniquity, who shall stand? If God should count our sins, who in here should stand? Mark this down. God does mark iniquity. There's only one that ever stood before God in the glorious beauty of his person. And that's Jesus Christ because he's holy. He by nature and essence is holy. (laughs) He's holy. He's holy. And this also speaks of his life giving ability. You see Jesus Christ created all things, and by him all things consist, and therefore in him we live and move and have our being. Do you realize this, that everyone on the face of this earth, man and beast, breathe in and breathe out at his command? You're breathing because he allows you to. Men spit out blasphemy, Only because God gives them, because Jesus Christ gives them breath, that's it. They have no power to breathe in themselves. You'll see that in verse 29 and 30. You can read it later. We'll move on. Bless the Lord, O my soul, for the greatness of his person. Number two, the greatness of his power. Throughout the rest of this psalm, if you take the time to read it, and you will be blessed by this if you read this psalm, it speaks of his handiwork in creation. I was speaking with Cody the other day and, you know, talking about the handiwork of God. He said that word handiwork was like a uh, somebody would build a little whatnot or something. Just a tinker toy, you know. You tinker with something and you, you carve it and you put it out there. It's handiwork. Well, that's what God did with creation. It's just his handiwork. <laughs> just, that's just a glimpse of his power. A glimpse of his power. And so if you read this psalm, you'll see this. Uh, concerning his his creation but let's look at this in verse 2 he says who's covered with light is with the garment who stretches out the heavens as a curtain notice the language of that how hard is it to open a curtain I mean do you think it's anything just to come back here and, and, and move this curtain back is that anything Is that any effort? Do you think that takes very much effort just to move a curtain? As a man opens and closes the shades, so does Jesus Christ create the universe. By His Word. (laughs) By His Word. Now, my friends, is that not great power? And yet the Lord sees it nothing more than just handiwork. (laughs) Handiwork. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and this was as hard as a man opening the shades in the morning. My friend, a child could open a curtain and just as easily as he opened that curtain, Jesus Christ spread out the vastness of heaven. For us to send a man to Mars, think about the just the just the, the scope of this. Because I had to think about this for a while. To send a man to one of the closest planets takes us about a year, 18 months. And yet the scriptures speak of God creating the stars as though they were an afterthought. He said, and he created the stars also. <laughs> also. As though he flung them with the fingers into space. Do you know that they, they, the people are saying that there's a star so large that it could inhabit our solar system in the sides of it without touching the side of the star. And yet God said, "Stars also." <laughs> power, power. Our God is great in power. Do you have any concerns? Do you have any problems? Do you have anything that is troubling you? My friend, if you have God as your God through Jesus Christ, is there anything too hard for Him? (laughs) Is there anything too hard for God? Absolutely not. (laughs) No, our God is great in power. We may look at all the greatness of His power in creation, and it is good for us to do so. We just see the Godhead in, in the power of creation. Everyone here, I uh, went to my father-in-law's, he's here, and we went out to the lake, and we look out across that lake, and it's beautiful, absolutely gorgeous. You know, you can look at creation, you can, you can determine, every man can determine that somebody created that. Some, somebody created that. Only a fool says in his heart that that nobody created that. My friend, you won't ever know God by looking at that. You'll know his power. You'll know he's powerful, but you won't know who he is. You read Romans chapter 1, and we see that in Romans chapter 1 verse 18, it says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. How did he do that? By the creation. He showed his, his power and his Godhead by the creation. Ah, because they knew not God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. And their foolish hearts were darkened, professing themselves to be wise. They became as fools. Isn't that what the wise men of our day do? They say, oh, it came from nothing. What a fool says that. Something came from absolutely nothing. I mean, a child can understand that something got to come somewhere. <laughs> Fools. And change the glory of God into the uh, incorruptible God into an image like the corruptible man and birds and beasts and creeping things. The power of God is clearly seen. And only fools say there is no God, but what is manifest is ha- what is not manifest is how God can be just and still justify you. You can't find that in creation. You see, you can see the power of God in creation, but you can't see the gospel of God unless you look here. This is where you're going to find it. You want to know how God can be just and justify wicked men? It's only found in his gospel. This is where God has chosen to place and manifest where he will reveal his gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. You see, I told you God demands perfection. How then can we as sinners obtain perfection? Perfection. It is only by the word of God that that question is answered. <laughs> it is only in that manner. And I'll tell you, if you have anybody that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ, it behooves you to get them and come and hear that man right there, your pastor. Because God will reveal to them the gospel only through the preaching of the gospel. He'll reveal himself only through the preaching of the gospel, nowhere else. Nowhere else. The power of God and his salvation. The gospel is the gospel of Jesus Christ. A man can bow down to all that I've said today, tonight. The majesty of God, the the power of God, the person of God. But you see, he'll never really know who God is but by the person of Jesus Christ. By the gospel. See, the gospel is not a creed. It's not a doctrine. It's a person. <laughs> it's a person. Jesus Christ is the gospel. You see, a man will worship the God of his own craft and imagination and does not understand the righteousness of God and see God's holy demands upon their soul. It is only through Jesus Christ that we can see the greatness of God's salvation. That's my last point. The greatness of God in salvation. Do you know that salvation only comes by revelation? I can academically explain the word of God to you and you can academically understand what I'm saying, but that is not salvation. Salvation comes as a direct act of divine intervention. It's a direct act of God upon the individual's heart and soul. God must do something for you. You see, salvation is not you doing something for God. You see you need something done by God for you. You need him to do something. And that is a revelation. Something needs to happen so that you can understand the gospel, so you can know Christ. That's a resurre- that's a resurrection. <laughs> that's a resurrection of the soul, and I'll tell you this, it takes divine power to save a man's soul. You see, this idea of easy believism, if you'll just come and make a decision for Jesus, for <laughs> Jesus, he needs you. And uh, if you'll just, he's done everything he can do, the poor man. And all you've got to do is make a decision for him. It's real easy. You see, salvation to the natural man is easy, but I'll tell you that salvation by man is impossible. You see, it takes divine power to save a soul. Divine power. Gospel comes by revelation to see the greatness of that power. Let us look at our text in light of the Scripture Look at verse 6. He says, Thou coverest the deep as with a garment, and the water stood above the mountains. What this is talking about is God in creation. Remember in the beginning in Genesis it said the waters covered the face of the deep. All of the mountains of the earth were under the water. What is this saying? This is saying that all men are born under sin. Even the highest of men are born all together in sin and shame. We come forth from the womb speaking lies. We are sin and we are covered in the darkness and depths of our sin. We all by nature are entombed in the cold depths of night and we by nature are both unwilling and unable to recover ourselves we are supposed we are suppressed and overtaken by our lusts and by our passions we are run we run from god and are enemies of god by nature oh but see the great saving power of god in verse 7 at thy rebuke they fled <laughs> At thy rebuke they fled. At the voice of thy thunder they hasted away. But God, who is rich in mercy, one day came to us who believe and rebuked the sin of our nature, the sin of our heart that enslaved us by the voice of the gospel. You see, he sent a man to preach this message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And one day God applied that message to our hearts. And we believed. And we believed. He sent a man with a message of peace. Let me ask you this. Do you have peace with God? If you do, are you sure? Because if you don't, that's a big, big, big thing there, isn't it? It means you're at war with God if you don't have peace with God. Do you have peace with God? Do you have peace in your soul regarding your sin? If you long for peace, for your sin sin then must be dealt with. You see, that's the only way we can have peace with God. Our sins must be dealt with. God's justice must be satisfied. And I tell you, as a man of God, the only way that's going to happen is by Jesus Christ. He alone satisfied God's demands. He alone. He is the only way that we could have peace with God. And when He comes to a man's heart, He rebukes the waters, and then the dry land appears. When God in His great power comes and calls us sinners to salvation through faith in Christ alone, you see, He takes all of our sins and He bound them up in Christ. He bound them up in Christ. Let's look at our text. It's in our text. He says this. Uh, look at verse um Verse 8. Uh, I lost that place there. If you read this text, it says he binds them up into one place. Uh, but that's what he did at Christ. He bound up all of our sins into one place, and that's Christ. He bound them up, our enemies, sin, death, and hell, and gathered them and nailed them to the cross of Jesus Christ, taking them out of the way. <laughs> taking them out of the way and making peace by the blood of his cross. He, by the greatness of his salvation, has set the bounds then of our foes and our enemies. You think of the ocean and how it comes up and hits the rocks and the shore. You see, that ocean may rage and that ocean may foam, but it'll never do this. It'll never cover the face of the earth again. Why? God has set its bounds. Well, you know what? God, that sin that once covered us like the mountains, God has set it apart and set its bounds. And yes, it rolls at our feet sometimes and the waves of our enemy crash against us and cause us to despair. But you know what? It'll never overcome anyone who is in Christ. Why? He's taking it away. (laughs) He's taken it away. Therefore, in verse 15, the writer gives us three things. And I'm going to hurriedly go through this. I'm sorry, I'm taking a little long. Three things here in verse 15. The wine, the oil, and the bread. And these three things are manifestations of the, the salvation, the great salvation of our God. First of all, the wine. This has reference to the blood of Christ. You see, that's how he can take away our sins is by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ is is pictured in the wine. Now, in this day, the wine was necessary. You couldn't have uh, any other type of drink for the long desert trips that these men took. Wine was necessary. It was necessary. And I tell you that the blood of Christ is necessary. My friends, if you go out into eternity tonight without the blood of Christ... There's no hope. There's no hope, my friends. You need the blood, and when God applies the blood, He says, "This I will pass over you." And my friends, number two, you need the oil. The oil here is the representation of the Spirit of God. Scripture says that uh, if any man hath not the Spirit of God, he is none of His. The oil is necessary. And the oil, you see, it was used for medicinal purposes. You see, you need the Spirit of God to come in with the blood and bind up your wounds, bruises, and putrefying sores. The oil was used for a light. My friends, you need light to understand the gospel. And without the Spirit of God, you can't know anything about Christ. And you can't can't adore Him as He is as he is due, as is worthy of. And my friends, we need the bread. I tell you, this is the bread, the Word of God. Don't forsake the Word of God. some people, they can can go a long time without worship, and I don't understand that. I don't understand it. That's like me going a week without a hamburger. I can't understand it. (laughs) I need food. But I need this food more than any other food. Why? I need strength. I can't make it without Him. May God give us grace to kneel down and to see the greatness of God's person in Christ. See the greatness of God's power, and especially the greatness of God's power in salvation.